How often is God good? All the time, because all the time God is good. And His goodness is to us, His goodness is through us, His goodness is for us, and we should be thankful. Amen? Uh, Circumstances shouldn't change that. Surroundings shouldn't change that. Nothing should change the fact that we acknowledge God's goodness and we celebrate God's goodness all the time. I don't know about you, but uh, man, that worship was kind of a warm-up for me. Like, I, I'm on fire right now. I might preach for four hours. I don't know. So uh, if you feel led to leave, then you go ahead. So I'm getting a thumbs up back there, so look out. Uh, where two or more are gathered, right? I can just keep on preaching. All right. Uh, I'm just reminded, you know, this morning uh, I've got uh, three really good friends uh, who are running the Louisiana Marathon, and it's one of the coldest ones they've ever run. <laughs> so uh, I, I just thought about that whole warm-up process. I've got another friend uh, over in Houston who's running a marathon this morning, and I prayed for them this morning, and I prayed for you know a good warm-up and a good start to their race and a good race and a good finish. And uh, it just reminds me, you know, when you've got people around you who pray for you and people around you who encourage you, is there anything better? Like, is there anything better in this life to know that you've got people who love you and people who pray for you and people who encourage you? Uh, and that's what we are, church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we join together in fellowship, and we join together in worship, and we pray for one another, and we, we encourage one another, and then we dig in to God's Word together. And that's what we're going to do. A new series called Kings and Kingdoms. We're going to look at how God worked through these earthly kings and, and even worked through the good kings and the bad kings and how God worked through these kingdoms, right, that man set up uh, to really point to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and to point to the kingdom, which is God's kingdom. And we're going we're gonna to see that in First and Second Samuel. And so as we begin these books, I, I want to make sure we do so with, with strong biblical context, but also personal and relatable understanding. See, these books of the Bible, like any book of the Bible, they are relevant today. Even though they're in the Old Testament, and, and even though they deal with, with kings and kingdoms there in Israel and in Judah, listen, what God did then, God is still doing today. And the message that he was sending to his children Israel and to the people of that day, I believe the message is the same today, that God is God and that he is sovereign. And there is no one and nothing above him. And so I believe that message is loud and clear in First and Second Samuel, and I believe that message is loud and clear today. Now, are there some contextual things? Are there some cultural things that don't exist in our context, in our culture today? Sure. But, but God, what He was saying to His people that day, through prophets and through priests and through judges and through kings, God's Word still speaks that way to us today. And so from Genesis up to this point, First Samuel, where we are today, God raised up leaders, and he raised up those leaders to know him personally and intimately, and he raised up leaders so that they could lead the people to know God and to be in intimate relationship with him. And what we see is that some of these leaders that he raised up, they were successful in what they were called to do. But many, many of these leaders that God raised up They were unsuccessful, and it was because of sin, and we're going to see that today. 
So if I were to explain what 1 Samuel is in context with Genesis all the way through Revelation, here's how I would explain it. 1 Samuel represents what is known as a transitional phase. It's a transitional phase between the era of Judges, which is what we've just gone through in the, in the Bible, and two, the era of the kings. And so First and Second Samuel, that's the transition. They've known Judges as their leaders, and now they cry out and say, hey, God, we want kings. We want kings like they've got and like they've got, and this is what got them in trouble. They wanted kings like the world produced. They didn't want the kind of king that God produced. And so that's where we get in trouble. So who is Samuel, right? Who is Samuel in the context of this book of the Bible? Well, Samuel, he was influential and he actually wore many hats. First and foremost, he was called by God to be a prophet. So Samuel was influential as a prophet, but he was also a priest. He spoke God's word and he led people in God's word. He was also a judge over all of Israel. As a matter of fact, most theologians agree, and if you look at the historical context, Samuel was actually the last of the judges in Israel. He was the last one. And Samuel is called by God to appoint the first two kings of Israel. And we'll go ahead and say their names because pretty much that's what First and Second Samuel, um, that's the, some of the main characters, right? Saul and David. So if you look at the books of First and Second Samuel, you'll say what characters jump out, which ones are really the important ones. Well, obviously Samuel, right? But he's going to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel, and then later on, as you know, he will anoint David to be the king of Israel. But here's what I want you to understand, and I've said this about every book of the Bible I preached. Even though we will see important men and women raised up by God in leadership positions, and even though books of the Bible may be named after some of these characters, right? Never forget this. Every word in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, every book of the Bible, every chapter of every book and every verse of every chapter is always, always about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It is. So the books of First and Second Samuel, they actually point to Jesus. They don't point to Saul, and they don't point to David. They point to Jesus because Jesus is the true and the perfect king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so even in all of the sin, even in all of the brokenness in this world, God told his children Israel that he was sovereign and that his plans and purposes would prevail. And so no matter what we see throughout the book of Samuel, right, the first book and the second book, and I'm going to tell you something, no matter what we see and experience in this world today, in our culture and in our context, understand this, God never loses his sovereignty. His sovereignty is secure because that's who he is. He is almighty God. And kings and kingdoms of this world will never change that. God is sovereign. That means his purposes and his plans will always prevail. So don't let circumstances, don't let feelings, don't let fear, don't let doubt ever discourage you from the truth of God's word. Amen? All right, so let's dig in. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read the first eight verses together. It says, There was a certain man from Ramathium, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, 
and the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. Uh Uh-oh. We already can see some trouble here, can't we? He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So we see some very good things in these first eight verses, but we also see some trouble in these first eight verses, right? So, so let me start with the good thing, right? We find out about a man named Elkanah, right? Elkanah. And here's the truth that we find out about Elkanah. Elkanah worshiped the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. That's very important that we see that right off the bat. He's the kind of husband and he's the kind of father. He's the kind of leader who loves the Lord. And the Bible says that he worshiped the Lord and that his worship was shown, it was demonstrated in the fact that he made sacrifices to the Lord and he did so at Shiloh. Now you may say, well, where is this Shiloh and why is Shiloh important? Because at this time, in the context of Scripture and in the culture that they lived in, the tabernacle of the Lord was actually located in Shiloh. And so Shiloh at this time was the religious center of worship for Israel. Now, let me go back to Elkanah because Elkanah, we know something important about him. He loved the Lord, he worshiped the Lord, and he served the Lord. Was Elkanah perfect? We know the truth right now. No, he was not perfect. We know this. There is no man, no woman that's ever been born, has been born, will be born that is perfect. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect one who's ever been born into this world. And so Elkanah was not perfect. That's why he worshiped the Lord. That's why he sacrificed to the Lord because he recognized that he needed God, that he needed to be in relationship with God. He recognized God as his almighty Lord. And so I love this because Dr. Tony Evans points out the trouble in these first eight verses. Listen to what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, Elkanah had two wives, which was a violation of, of God's original design for marriage. You might say, well, Brother Jeff, in the Old Testament, they were allowed to do that. That's right. They were allowed to do that, but that was not God's design for marriage. His original design for marriage goes all the way back to Genesis when Adam and Eve became one flesh. And so just because it was allowed by the law does not mean that it was God's design. And so Dr. Tony Evans says Elkanah had two wives, which was the violation of God's original design for marriage, 
A second wife, and here's why it was allowed, a second wife was sometimes taken in the case of a childless first marriage. However, bigamy and polygamy were never God's perfect design for marriage. And so we can see, because of the allowances made in marriage at that time, Elkanah married a second wife. And so we've got Hannah and we've got Penina. But it did not change the fact, listen, just because Elkanah was not perfect, just because Elkanah needed God, it it didn't change the fact that he loved God and that he worshiped God and that he served God, okay? But he faced challenges. And here's another truth that I want you to understand. It's not a part of the PowerPoint or anything like that. It's just something God has given me. Don't think that just because you worship the Lord and you serve the Lord, you won't face consequences of your choices in this world. You will. Don't think that just because you love the Lord and you're experiencing the love of the Lord in your life, that you won't face hurts and troubles and challenges in this life because you will. But here's the truth. When you're a child of God, when God's your father, you'll never face any of that alone. You'll never be alone. God will always be with you. And I'm going to tell you something. God will always be for you. His purposes and his plans will always prevail in your life. And so let's look at this. One of the challenges we see right off the bat, Hannah was childless. She was childless while Penina had many children. Notice it didn't just say Penina had a child. She had many sons and daughters. She was blossoming with sons and daughters. But understand this, right? This this means something in that culture and in that context. As a matter of fact, not having children, right, Not having children or having children, it actually changed the way that people looked at you and how the people treated you, how they responded to you, right? I love this. J.D. Greer says in his commentary, women who bore a lot of children in this context were treated with great honor. They were actually looked at as national heroes. Think about that. They were looked at as heroes. Why? Because they were growing the nation, right? They were adding to the families and the nation. And so it says they were looked at as national heroes. However, women who were unable to bear children felt useless. They felt worthless. They experienced shame rather than great honor. And they were looked at with pity rather than respect. So I want, you to, I want you to understand because we're fixing to really see something in Hannah. We're fixing to see a trouble and a challenge that she faced as a child of God because of someone who was always around her, someone who was always there. Listen, we see it right off the bat. Elkanah was a man who worshipped, and he led his family to worship. So guess what Hannah was going to do? The Bible says she went to worship. Right, And so Hannah's worship, when she went to worship, it was disrupted. Why? Because of Penina. The Bible says that Penina provoked her. Now, when we look at Hannah, there is no doubt that Hannah felt the shame and she felt the hurt of her barrenness. There is no doubt also that Penina right, was prideful. She had a prideful attitude, and her prideful attitude actually fueled Hannah's shame and Hannah's hurt. It impacted her. 
It impacted her not just physically because she wept and she didn't eat. It impacted her spiritually because when she would try to go to worship, Penina was still provoking her, right? And I want you to understand something. That word provoked, you look at that word provoked, and and you might think of, oh, like she's poking at her. No, no, no. Do you know what the Hebrew word for provoked means? Here's what it means. It means to thunder or to roar. That's what the word provoke means. So I'll give you an example. I'm going to use my little buddy Joshua right here, right? Right? It's my buddy Joshua down here. And Josh and I, we've known each other, I guess, since you were born, right? Something like that. So not long for you, right, but long for me. So anyway, what happens is, right, it's not like Panana's like, na 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 in her face. It's not like Panana's like poking at her, like, I got more kids than you. You've got none. No, that's not what it is. She's roaring and thundering over her, right, in a boxing match. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I love the Rocky series, and, you know, this, this weekend, there was like a Rocky marathon on one of the channels. I woke up and Rocky 1 was on. I told Marty, I said, I think Rocky 1, the first one, is one of the greatest movies ever. And then I watched Rocky 2 and I said, you know what? Rocky 1, he beat Apollo Creed. And that's like the 15,000th time he's done it because that's how many times I've watched it. But have you ever seen a boxing match, right? In a boxing match, they kind of move around. And, and, of course, I'm left-handed, so I guess I need to, to do this right. So I'm left-handed. But, so what I would do is I'd just kind of jab at you with my right hand, right? But the power is in my strong hand. It's my, this is the power punch. So I jab at you and poke at you with my right hand. If I want to hurt you, I'm going to punch you with my left hand. It's the power punch. Here's what I want you to understand. That's what Penina was doing to Hannah. She wasn't jabbing at her. She was power punching her. She was in her face making fun of her, bringing shame on her. And so I want you to understand what Hannah is feeling. Yet guess what Hannah was doing? She was worshiping the Lord. Even when it got disrupted, her heart and her mind was focused on the Lord. She worshiped the Lord. And so we got this man, Elkanah, right? And he's, he's caught in the middle. Now here's the thing. It's your fault you married two, two wives. So but he's caught in the middle, and so, listen to me. He, he's kind of playful with like, hey, what's wrong with you? Why are you downcast? He knows why she's downcast. If Penina is roaring and thundering, Elkanah hears that, <laughs> okay? He sees that. He, he says, why are you downcast? Why aren't you eating? Don't you know I love you? I mean, look how much meat I gave you. I didn't give her that much, right? He, he even says, don't you love me back? Am I not worth more than 10 of your sons? Do you know what Elkanah was trying to do? Listen, he was being a good husband. He really was. But Elkanah attempted to fulfill Hannah's deepest longing. That's what he was trying to do. Elkanah, as her husband, right, was trying to fulfill his wife's deepest longing. And so he believed he could do that by giving her more food. He believed he could do that by speaking sweetly to her and tenderly to her. He believed he could do that by putting his arm around her and taking her away from all that trouble, right? He believed that he could fulfill her. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's something that I hope you see today in Scripture. I hope you see this, and this is why it's relevant today. Nothing and no one can fulfill your heart's deepest longing like the Lord. Nothing 
And no one can fulfill your heart's deepest longing like the Lord. You want to know why? Because you were created by God for God. I love my wife, right? We've been married for 31 years. And, you know, Lord willing, we'll, we'll celebrate 32 this year, you know, later in the year. And I love her. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God made her for me. No, he did not. God made her for him. God made her for him just like God made me for him. He allowed us, he drew us, right, to himself and he put us together. So don't ever think that your spouse sitting next to you was made for you and you were made for him or her. No, no, no. You were created by God for God. You are to glorify God, not your spouse. You are to worship the Lord, not your spouse. And you are to not be worshipped. You need to understand that because here's the thing. If you don't understand that and you don't embrace that, you're going to keep chasing and keep chasing and you'll never feel your heart's deepest longing. No man, no woman, no job, no money, no hobby, nothing will ever fulfill your deepest longing. You know me, I love to run. I love it. I run in the cold. I ran yesterday. Lord willing, I might get out there and run today. I love it, but here's the thing. That will never fulfill my heart's deepest longing, ever. And why would I even think it could? Because I know the truth, and the truth has set me free. His name is Jesus. So watch what happens. Beginning in verse 9. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Don't miss that. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord. Do you see that? She worshipped and now she prayed. It says, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then... I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. That's a Nazarite vow. As she kept on praying, so she prayed and she kept on praying. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the priest, he observed, right? He observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And so Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Do you know what Eli thought? Eli thought this woman is barren, and the way she's trying to fulfill her heart's longing is through alcohol, through drinking. That's what he thought. He thought she was drunk. He thought, oh, I see how you're trying to fulfill your heart. You're trying to fulfill it with the substance of this earth. But look how she responds, verse 15. Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying. Do you notice how many times we see this? Prayed, pray, praying. She says, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I have been praying out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked to him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away. Look at this. 
Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Does she have a baby in her womb yet? No. But guess what? She's already celebrating. She's already celebrating because she's been in the presence of her Lord. And that was enough. Early the next morning, they arose, and look what happened. What'd they do? They worshiped. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. and She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So, so I want to I back up to verse 9 when it says, Hannah stood up. You know what that means? She made a decisive decision. She stood up. She made a decisive decision. The Hebrew word for stood up is the word qualm. And qualm refers to a person making a dynamic oath, a decree in dramatic fashion. So listen to me. Hannah was not passive in what she was doing. Oh, no, no, no. She was active. She was making a dynamic decision. She was making a dynamic vow before God. The Bible says Hannah prayed and she kept on praying. She prayed and she kept on praying to the Lord. And here's what I believe. Here's what I see. Hannah, she believed that God cared for her. She believed that God cared for her in her anguish and in her distress. She believed that God cared for her in her helpless estate. And so in her prayer, what does she say? She says, God, if you give me a son, if you decide to give me a son, here's my decisive decision right now. Right? Like in the book of Daniel, it says Daniel resolved. He made his mind up before anything happened that this is what he was going to do. And guess what? He did. Okay? So guess what Hannah did? Hannah said, I'm going to decide right now, God, if you do give me a son, I'm giving him back to you. Nothing will change this. This is my decision. This is my vow to you. And so she stated what is known as the Nazarite vow. And we've seen that, right, in the Bible. And so she was not, here's what we see in Hannah. She wasn't talking to Elkanah. She wasn't even talking to Eli, the priest. She was talking to God. She was talking to God. She was talking to her father. She was relying on God and God's compassion and God's goodness toward her. Well, what's also incredible, right, is that Hannah's vow is to give back to God the son that could help her, right, in the house. Think about it. If she has a son, what can Penina do now? Nothing. If that son is around, it's a constant reminder to Penina, ha, huh, God did this for me. Right? Think about what the son could do for Hannah in the house and in the community. Right? It, it, it could be, listen, every time Samuel is seen, right, they could say, oh, that's Hannah's son. But Hannah says, no, God, this ain't for me. This is for you. I'm going to give him back to you, and he will glorify, honor, and serve you all the days of his life. And so Eli, she, you know, he's at his post. He sees what's going on. He thinks she's drunk. She's not. She says, I'm not drunk. I'm hurting. I'm hurting, but I'm, I'm bringing my hurt to God. And Eli, he doesn't even know what she's asked for, right? Because he didn't hear anything out of her mouth. So he didn't hear it. So he don't even know what she's asked for. What does he do? He blesses her. The, the priest blesses her and says, whatever you've asked God for, may he grant it to you. May he give it to you. And so the Bible says Hannah worshipped, right? She worshipped. And again, don't miss this. She worshipped after she prayed. She didn't worship after she got what she prayed for. 
She worshiped after she prayed. She didn't worship after she got what she prayed for. She went ahead and worshiped, not knowing if God was going to give it to her or not. But she had done what she could do. She could take her anguish and her grief and her hurt and her barrenness to God. Her faith, right? Her faith, her hope, and her joy, it was an overflow of God's presence in her life. His fulfilling presence in her life. And so God was now, God was now to her what no husband could be. God was to her now what no son, nothing, no one could ever be. Again, J.D. Greer in his commentary, this is so good. He said this, he said, faith means, listen to this, faith means rejoicing in God when our dreams are still unfulfilled. Faith means rejoicing in God even when our dreams are unfulfilled. He says, faith means rejoicing in God and resting on God when life is still falling apart around us. Because here's the truth. When she got done praying and she turned around, guess what she was facing? Penina's provoking. Guess what truth still remained? There was no baby in her womb. It was closed. Yet what did she do? The Bible says her face was no longer downcast. The Bible said she no longer stopped eating. She actually ate. And the Bible said she worshipped. She worshipped. Man, we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot from Hannah's actions here. And again, I'm not lifting Hannah up on no pedestal. Because Hannah wasn't perfect either. Hannah wasn't perfect either. She needed the Lord. But here's the thing. She went to the Lord. She recognized her great need of the Lord. And she went to Him. And so the Bible says the Lord remembered Hannah. And He opened her womb. The Lord remembered Hannah and opened her womb. God did that. Not Elkanah. Not the priest. God did that. And she gave birth to a a man, a young boy named Samuel. Listen to this. Verse 21. It says, when her husband Elkanah went up with all of his family. Notice the daddy leading his family. Let me say that one more time. Notice the daddy leading the family. Okay, only one amen. Okay. All right, now we know what's wrong with our world. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord. Notice this. Notice Hannah, right? Hannah made the vow. Hannah made the dynamic proclamation And Hannah said, I'm going to keep my vow. I'm going to keep it. She was not relying on anyone else to do what she made right with the Lord. So she said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. As far as we know, this is the first time Elkanah heard that. As far as we know, this is the first time he's heard that. He will live there always. And look at how Elkanah responds. Do what seems best to you. Her husband Elkanah told her, Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, 
and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Listen, in this culture, what the Bible tells us is that generally children were weaned somewhere between the ages of two and three, okay? That, that's, that's the cultural and historical context. So somewhere between the ages of two and three was the average age of a child being weaned from the mom at this time. So mama's in the house. You've had one, two, possibly three years to hold that baby, right? Hold that baby close to your chest. To look in that baby's eyes. To play with that baby's hair with your fingers, right? To hear that baby coo and ah and laugh and giggle. And then you give him up. You give him up to God. And you may never see him again. You may never talk to him again. I just want to ask you, how easy would that be? Hannah kept the vow. She kept the vow she made to God. How? By giving up. By giving up the son God gave her. I'm going to just tell you, that alone points to what God is going to do when he gives up his one and only son. For kingdom, for kingdom ministry, for eternity. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. As she was nurturing her son, as she was caring for her son, she never lost sight of Almighty God. She never lost focus of her purpose, right? Her purpose that was found in God and the purpose of her child that was given by God. Verse 28 tells us that they worshipped, right? That's what it says. And here's the Hebrew word. So in the Hebrew Bible, that word worship that we see in verse 28, it's the word hawa. Do you know what that word hawa means? It means to pray and to walk in obedience. How cool is that, right? So it says he worshipped, right? And what that means is, is he prayed, and he lived obediently to God. That's what worship was all about. I wonder today, is that what worship is for us? Right? To pray to the God who made us. We were made by him and for him. And to walk in obedience to the way he has created us. To go where he says to go. To do what he says to do. To say what he says to say. I wonder today, do we pray like that? Are we praying so that we will be in line with God, or are we praying to try to get God lined up with us? I wonder today when we worship, are we worshiping because we see, right? We see the things that God has done, or are we worshiping because God is good regardless of the things He's done? Are we, are we holding back and saying, well, I'll worship God when, right? When I get it my way right away. When I see the next Burger King sign lit up, oh, I'll worship God then. 
Because that's the kind of people we are. We want God to do for us the way we want it done and when we want it done. And we get frustrated and aggravated and even angry when it doesn't happen that way. But, but what I see in this passage of Scripture is this. We're going to all deal with shame. We're going to all deal with guilt. We're going to all deal with heartache and heartbreak and helplessness. But here's the truth. The shame, the guilt, the heartache, the heartbreak, the helplessness that we, that we feel, it can only be taken away by our loving Lord. It can, listen, if you feel shame right now, the only place you can go to, to get rid of that shame, to let go of that shame, is to God. A husband ain't going to do it for you. A wife ain't going to do it for you. A a, a new position at a new place of work, more money, that's not going to do it. Shame can only be taken away by Almighty God. He's the only one. I'm going to tell you something else. The belonging that you're looking for, the belonging, the purpose, the value that you long for, it can only be fulfilled by our loving Lord. I love to preach. I love this church. But I'm going to tell you something, right? (laughs) This church doesn't fulfill my longing to belong. This church, this position that God has given me, it doesn't fulfill my purpose. Because here's the truth. My purpose is to glorify God regardless of the position. Regardless of the place. My purpose is to glorify God. That's it. That really is it. Satan wants you to believe that it's something else or someone else or somewhere else. No, it's not. Your purpose is to glorify God no matter when, where, or with who. Your purpose don't change. And so here's the thing. God fulfills my belonging. God fulfills my purpose. And God is the one that fulfills my value. See, I know who I am. I know whose I am and I know why I am. And nobody and nothing can tell me different. Nobody and nothing can tell me different. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to the Lord because the Lord is the truth. So let me say this one more time as we close today. What did we learn in 1 Samuel chapter 1? Here's what we learned. 1 Samuel chapter 1 points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. We don't look for anyone or anything else to fulfill us. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. So what am I going to do in response? I'm going to pray to the Lord. Man, I want to pray like Hannah prayed. I want to pray like Hannah prayed. Not only that, I want to worship the Lord. You know what? I want to worship the way Hannah worshiped. I want to say, Lord, here's where I am. Here's my hurt. Here's my pain. Here's all the stuff that I'm dealing with, God. Here's all the stuff that I feel. Here's the surroundings in my life. But here's the truth, God. I know who you are. And I know who I am in your presence. So here it is. I'm going to give it to you. And when I give it to you, I ain't going to reach back with one hand and try to grab some of it. I'm going to leave it with you and I'm going to turn around. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you whether you give me a son or not. I'm going to worship you whether I have to put up with Penina. Right? Gut punching me. I'm still going to worship you. Nothing and no one will take that away from me. Nothing and no one will change that. I'm going to tell you, that's a dynamic faith, amen? Only Jesus, only Jesus can give you that kind of faith. Only Jesus can sustain and fulfill you in that kind of faith. If you're looking to a church, to a pastor, 
if you're looking to a husband and a wife to sustain you and fulfill you, you're going to run short every time. You're going to come up empty every time. Because God created you. You were created by God for God. And so your heart's deepest longing can only be fulfilled by God. And He's done it. He's done it through the man, the Savior, the Lord, the King, who is Jesus.